Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I think until it happens to you, you don't realize how absolutely utterly devastating it really can be. And not just for you, but the people around you. So the people that you would normally be caring for, you're not able to really care for as much as you'd like because you're so devastated. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk to Caroline Lloyd. She's the grief geek and author of Grief Demystifying. And um, I think we could both agree that that was like really eye-opening conversation. And I think you were saying you felt like it really normalized some stuff for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think her main point is there is no one way or way to deal with grief mm. there's everybody's going to deal with it differently some people it's the first year some people it's the second year some people get really selfish some people close up some people mm. let it all out some people deal with it publicly some people don't I think it's also clear to me that it's about understanding that it's okay for other people to deal with it yeah. in other ways which I sort of always knew but now I'm sort of going okay I really get why that person has retreated and is yeah. doing it their way. Allowing, you know? him, allowing them that yeah. kind of different space. I think um, one of the things that that she she doesn't follow a prescribed way to handle no. things. Like even saying is very refreshing and, and to say like not everyone needs therapy. I find that fascinating <laughs> yeah. because I would be one of those people who believes I actually don't. But the amount of people I've had going, are you thinking, have you seen yeah. anyone yet? Or have you have you sort of, you know, and the sort of not actually saying it for the precursor yeah. to the conversation. And I think it's very interesting that she says that it can actually be quite damaging to some people to go to therapy. If that's um, not what they feel they not, need. Yeah. yeah. Or if, you know, maybe you're in a situation where it's actually going to do you more harm than yeah. good. And I think being brave enough to say that there's nothing wrong with you when you're grieving. Mm. I think I remember um, one of the articles that I wrote was tagged under the mental illness <laughs> section of a website. And I remember thinking, well, this isn't a mental illness. This is part of life's process for mm. all of us, mm. every single one of us. Um, and I thought that was really strange. And she talks about how, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not sick. Mm. 
you know, you're not suffering from any kind of mental breakdown. Mm. You're grieving. And that's the way you're dealing with it yeah. is the way you're dealing with it. And that's OK. And that's OK. It's like yeah. if you want to live in your selfish bubble, go and live in your selfish yeah. bubble. And that's OK. Yeah. Or if you want to let it all out and scream. And it's also it's OK one minute to be moving forward and the next minute to be moving, moving back. back. And that for me is was very helpful because sometimes you wake up and you embrace the day and you're going, mm. yay, okay, I can do this. I'm sort of feeling good and we're and then the next day it's like, woo! Yeah. Again, and that's totally normal and I think that's what I think a lot of people are going to get out of this that it's whatever you're doing or however you're feeling in your grief, that's okay and it's normal to you. On the podcast so far, we've mentioned many benefits the internet can have if you find yourself in grief. Now, that said, the web is also rife with misinformation about all aspects uh, relating to loss. Now, today on the podcast, we're delighted to be joined by Caroline Lloyd, who is the grief geek and the author of Grief Demystified, um, as she speaks about the importance of debunking many of the misconceptions around it. Um, Caroline, first of all, you're very well. Welcome. What were your first experiences or feelings of grief? Um, mine personally? Mm. Um, that's a really good question, actually, and, and something that no one has ever asked me. I was 22 when one of my friends died and he was 26 and he died from cancer. And back then, which was 30 years ago, uh, we didn't really know anything about grief and there was no Internet. Mm. And I think because all my grandparents were alive, all the old people, mm. and I put that in inverted commas, because when you're 22, you think anyone who's over 30 is old. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought at that time, it was only really my great grandparents that I'd seen die. So I didn't realise that you could die young. Mm. And I didn't realise the impact that that would have on you. So I sort of went inwards and started volunteering in a cancer hospital to sort of redirect that in some way because I wasn't sure what to do and like most people at 22 I was working full-time and studying so Mm. I was a trainee accountant at the time so I had very little time and it just sort of went inwards and I didn't realize until many 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 years later what had happened to me and that it wasn't socially recognized I wasn't Mm. able to go to the funeral because I wasn't allowed time off And nobody actually recognised the significant impact that having a friend, watch a friend die from cancer um, and be bereaved in that way was just so significant to me. And because it wasn't a parent or a family member, there was no recognition of that impact. Mm. And that was my first. And did you find that when you say no recognition, was it sort of recognition from your family or from your friends? From anybody. Or even your like, employees or your Nobody. college lecturer? Was it just like, well, sort of, yeah, you know, it just, tough? It was just, mm. well, he, was, he was just a friend and mm. you'll get, it was all the things that I talk about in my book. It was the label mm. rather than the attachment or the relationship. Mm. It was more a case of he was just a friend. Mm. You'll get over it. 
um, and that it was that I was just expected to go back to work the next day as if nothing had happened. Mm. I mean, I think what we do on the podcast, I suppose, is challenge ideas about grief. That's what, I mean, what kind of society says about it, and and I suppose what it really is about at the heart of things, and different for everyone, obviously, which we've learned um, throughout the episode so far. But when was the point that you decided you wanted to kind of actually like challenge this and look at this further? Because, like you said, it's something that people are really quick to dismiss mm-hmm. if possible. If at yeah. all possible, yeah. they'll dismiss it. Yeah. <laughs> so to be brave and decide, to decide that you're going to devote um, a lot of yourself to this is a, is a brave venture to do. My whole life. Yeah. Mm. Um, with the catalyst was in 2005, my nephew died and he was the first grandchild. So my sister had always wanted to have children and when she had children everything was perfect she found the perfect man the perfect house got married at the right time all the things that when you're growing up you hope and expect Mm. to have one day for Mm. for a lot of people and that was her vision and when she achieved all of that I had this wonderful perfect life and then she went on to have a second child Charlie was diagnosed with cancer at three years old and he died um, about three months afterwards and he had very aggressive chemotherapy and we had to witness what happened to him both physically and mentally Mm. and then it ripples out Mm -hmm. so it starts with my sister and her husband it affected his little brother in ways you wouldn't imagine Um, and then it sort of rippled out throughout all of us and then it impacted me and my mum because we were there all the time and we would do all the parental things with Charlie Mm. and after he died those myths just made me angry. Mm. I mean, before it was like, okay, I don't know enough about this to challenge anything. And I just kind of got on with my life as most people do, I think. And you just kind of ignore it and move on with it. Um, and, And went on in blissful ignorance. And I'd had lots of deaths since then. And we had, you know, had a major um, traumatic death in the family when my cousin killed himself. And we had to witness all of that. And again, it ripples out. So then when Charlie died, I'd had enough. I'd had Mm. enough of listening to the regurgitation. Mm. Time's a great healer. (laughs) Yeah, time's a great healer. You go through stages. Mm. You Mm. get over it. You know, all of these things that people say, the platitudes people Mm. say to you. You can, my sister had, you can always have more children. (sighs) I mean, who says that to a bereaved But do you parent? think do you think that's because people actually don't know what to say, and especially yes. when it's to Absolutely. do with a child? Yes. I mean, I was in a similar situation a couple of weeks ago, and I actually said to the parent, "I actually do not know, know what, what to, say to say to you, so I'm going exactly. to say nothing because I yes. don't know what to say to you." Because there, there was nothing to say. Mm. There isn't anything you can say. Exactly. So I when I, so I went on to train. So I was doing lots of research and started reading from, but I had to Google everything mm. because I didn't understand the terminology. And I started understanding the research and the theories and all of these things we've known for 20, 30 years. But for some, for some unknown reason to me, they just haven't filtered out mm. to the public. It is one of those things. It is a sensitive issue. So most people don't want to talk about it. So where I was in England for 18 years, people really in southern England really, really don't want to talk about their emotions and they don't want to impose on people. Whereas in Wales, where I'm from, people are actually more explicit. So I do think there are cultural differences. Mm. There are cultural divides between countries 
stories. In Ireland, you're very good at death and dying. You know, you're very open. You do talk about it. And I think that's rooted in your Catholic background. Um, and you're very accepting of, you know, of birth and life and death. But I'm not so sure that you're any better than us mm. at, gr- at talking no, about grief. I don't yeah. think so. I think there's definitely... A, and what we've discovered in the last few weeks is there's there's a sort of there's a nervousness around it. It's sort of like, oh my god! It's almost like I've got to call to the house, but what'll I say? Yeah. Or yeah. you bump into somebody, and like I know sometimes I I'll bump into someone, and you can see them physically going, mm. shit! I've got to yeah, say something. Yeah, what'll I say? What'll I say? What'll I say? And you yeah. just change the subject. And you say, I find mm. I start talking yeah. about other stuff so that I'm not putting them in this position of, you know, nervousness or saying the wrong thing or awkwardness. I think I've I've become much more conscious of my own behavior, um, like after, obviously, as someone who has grieved. Now, when I'm around people who are grieving, I'm a lot more conscious of my own behavior. And I, the one thing that's really helped me is to just, um, when I'm worried, when I'm going through, what should I say? say? It's not about you. Mm -hmm. Just like, just like, just make it about them. This is just their, this is their time they need to talk about this and to um, not not be so worried about making mistakes in that way because I think Venetia and I have talked about this before you can say shit I shouldn't have said that I'm sorry Mm. that wasn't the right thing like and reverse it really quickly if you're if you're conscious of them absolutely Um, you mentioned stages (laughs) but that's actually something that's really important because I um, when I first uh, lost my dad I really bought into this stages of grief thing because mm. that's what people were you know that was what people were selling mm. you know that there are these exact stages and this is what you follow and yeah. here they are and now you're in denial and now you're in this mm. and now you're in that a lot of people now are finally starting to talk about that not being true can you talk about that I, I can't it's, it's a bit more complicated than that we Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when she published her work and was talking about these stages, she was working in a hospice environment with people who've been diagnosed with terminal illnesses. She then went on to further talk about um, grief and grieving, but that was much later on. But the stages were related to what people normally experience when they've been told they're going to die. And this has just been misconstrued. She also, at that time, I'm a huge fan Mm -hmm. of her. She did some fantastic work and she was an academic. She was a world-class academic and that gets lost in all the memes. Mm -hmm. And the memes drive me nuts (laughs) because they condense what she achieved and her vast volumes of knowledge and experience and caring and compassion into something that's just not true. Um, And she has always said that they were never linear, but that we had commonalities. You know, that's a word I use. There are commonalities. You know, you will see as a bereavement counsellor, I'm trained and I can see there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of guilt there. there, You can. I'm not sure I would use the word denial. I would say avoidance Mm -hmm. more than denial. I think language is very, very important. And. And the way we use stages um, is usually misinterpreted to mean that you can, it's almost like you want to impose some kind of control over mm. something that isn't controllable. And there's, and we know better now. So one of the models I love is called the dual process model. And it talks about how we go backwards and forwards and we go into mm. loss, loss mm. orientation, back into restoration orientation. Mm. And that's basically what Elizabeth was talking about, but in using different language mm. and in a different setting. So they're talking the same thing, but they tend to get 
polarised and misinterpreted. And this is partly why I do what I do, which is to educate and say, look, we're not that that far apart from each other we just have to recognize that there are commonalities we're gonna look backwards we're gonna be sad we might Mm. be angry we might be whatever Mm. we might be in denial eventually you will adjust to that loss and that is acceptance however you want to frame it that adjustment Mm. is normal and that is an acceptance and then we go into continuing bonds which is you know perpetuating the relationship with the lost loved one or the dead loved one, whatever your language is. Um, and that is something that we know and you don't get over it. You don't leave them behind. Mm. They always go with you. You always carry them with you. So that's what. Mm. what. Um, I read, as way on holidays recently, and I read um, The Year of Magical Thinking mm-hmm. uh, by Joan Didion, which I found mm. quite hard because it was quite similar to my own situation initially Mm. and a lot of her what she talked about was really similar but there's a line where she says and paraphrasing that like grief is a place you don't really understand until you get there and do you think though I I sort of thought with that yes that's true but you don't know exactly when you're going to get there like a lot of people think the first year but I'm actually wondering is it really the first year? Could it be the second mm-hmm. year that you get there and you sort of start to understand it? I, it, it varies person to person, um, and this is and this is some, um, something I'm quite emphatic about um, talking about. Is it, it with some bereavements, you, it may be expected, it may be sudden, it may be premature, it may be the natural order, it may be the unnatural order. And your relationship with that person is different. Mm. So your grieving process will be different. And comparing, whilst there are commonalities, comparing isn't helpful. There are things that we know are going to be helpful for some people, like counselling, you know, especially if there's a traumatic element. And bereavement and trauma are different and they're often confused because they can often be together, but they are actually different conditions. Um, Some people are really helped from sort of group settings or just go away and want to be on their own and go to a retreat or hide away. And imposing what we think, what helped us is going to help other people is not only unhelpful in most situations, but can be really harmful, Mm. especially if you're pushing them into like therapy that they don't need. They're not ready or that they're not ready for Or they don't need it Mm. um, very often. And I think autobiographies or one person's perspective, one person's story, it can be very comforting to some people. But it, it can it, you can almost benchmark yourself mm. against somebody else's experience and that is never going to be mm. helpful ever because the worst time for me after Charlie's death was the second year. But when my friend died, um, the worst time for me was in that first year Mm. and hitting all the first milestones. With Charlie, it was the second year because I just couldn't get my hand around the fact that nobody ever asked me how I was. Mm. But that's because I was his auntie. Mm. Isn't that the thing, though? So that's a different experience. It's it's an interesting thing, and I think the friend thing is very interesting because it's... I was... (laughs) This actually sounds very... I was discussing with... um, a friend of my husband's about we've both been grieving very differently mm-hmm. and they would have been very close and he sort of had a bit of an issue with the fact that I have been quite public with 
you know, but just not intentionally. It's just the way it happened. We did an event. I did stuff for Mary Keating. We're doing this. It just, it's the way it organically mm-hmm. happened. It was mm-hmm. never supposed to be that way. It's just the way. And I think the, the, the main nub of the problem was not that I was dealing with it publicly, but nobody's calling him and going, mm, how yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And I think that is something we do forget mm, and yeah. that a grief is... It's a shit. Obviously, people focus on the wife or the husband or the kids yeah, or the mother yeah, or the father, yeah. but it is something that is shared by so many people. Exactly. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And when my dad died, my best friend used to go, I mean, she's she's the greatest person in the whole world. She used to go to the hospice in the morning before work to sit with my dad because that he'd wake up very early. And so be, you know, I would normally get there around half seven in the morning, but she would get there around like half five in the morning. And she'd read in the paper and she'd mm. sit and shout and she'd come back after work. She felt after I spent, I even felt it at the funeral. I could feel that there she was, this most important person in all of those months that he was sick, who he adored, who played such a pivotal role in his in his last months. And nobody was really mm. going mm-hmm. over and checking mm-hmm. if she was OK. But she exactly. was still holding everyone else up. Exactly. And in the months later, she she had a, a difficult time with yeah. it. Um, And looking back on it now, um, 
you know, I think it is so vital that people kind of recognize all those different relationships. The one thing I wanted to ask you about is complicated grief or complex grief, because obviously if you have a relationship with somebody and it's not, not all relationships mm. are these perfect, beautiful things. Some relationships are quite complicated and therefore, from what I've experienced, the grief can also be complicated. Um Okay, so there are two different issues you're talking mm -hmm. about there and, and you're sort of overlapping them with another. So complicated grief is not a complicated relationship. Okay. Complicated grief is when you don't adjust normally okay. and that can be from any relationship. It doesn't matter the nature of the relationship. And we we think around 10 to tw tw around 10 to 20 percent of the population, you know, globally will experience complicated grief. And that's when it's prolonged mm -hmm. and it's just not taking its natural course, which is what happens with 80 percent of the time, regardless of the type of death, the type of relationship. All of those variables are, are, are not relevant. What you're talking about is what I call ambiguous grief. Mm -hmm. So where it's you're not sure what to do because you love them, but they were abusing you or you love them, but they were neglecting you or you didn't have a, or you were estranged or something like that. Mm. Now, that's this is a really um, I'm, I'm glad you raised that. Actually, I wrote a blog post on this. It's a dear dad letter. And it's written by a daughter whose dad died and they had a very difficult, tragic relationship. And when he died, she needed to unpick those feelings. Mm. And the letter perfectly demonstrates how she's grieving. And she's grieving not the loss of the relationship, but the loss of what could have mm. been. So even though he'd like deserted her as a child and was abusive to her mother and, and she tried in later later life to have a relationship with him and he was sort of partially there, partially not there because he was an alcoholic. When he died, what she grieved is the fact that she could they would never be able to put it right. Mm. They would never ever be able to have what she would consider to be a quote unquote normal father-daughter relationship. So the relationship will affect how you grieve. So if there's anger in the relationship, you're going to be angry after they mm. die. If there's incomplete issues, if they died while you're trying to make, you know, while you'd had an argument, you weren't speaking, that kind of stuff, you you have to process those emotions as well. And, and it's what have you lost? Is it that person in your life or is it that person that you wanted mm. in your life? And there is a difference. Do you think you can resolve things after someone has died I mean you're never going to hear maybe the I'm sorry or you're never going to hear the I love you or you're never going to is there ways that you can do that internally yourself oh yeah of course of course I think you have to at some point as an adult take responsibility for your reactions to other people and other situations so we know that biologically and behave biologically we're sort of predetermined but behaviorally we can change things we have control over those thoughts and you can choose whether to be angry at that person for the rest of your life or you can choose to just accept that's the way it was there's nothing I can do about it now so I'm gonna have to move on and just make my peace with that mm. for peace of your mind mm. because they're still affecting you as a dead person isn't gonna help you in your life going forwards. Mm. And I think that's something that if you're not able to do that on your own, that's where a counsellor would be helpful. Mm. Can I just ask you about that as well and therapy and the whole idea? And you were saying that not everybody 
needs therapy. No. Um, how do you know? Because one of the first things that people will say when somebody very close to you dies is they start saying, you should go and see somebody or have you seen start to see somebody yet? And I mean, personally, I think for kids, like two out of three of my kids are doing play therapy and art therapy. The other one doesn't think he needs it, which is fine. It's up to him at the minute. Um, and But I've had a lot of, you know, are you going to see somebody yet? Whatever. And I actually personally don't, maybe I'm just not ready or I don't feel that I need to do that. Is it, Does everybody need to do that? No, or is this no. just this thing we have now that no. you'll be grand if we go and do <laughs> it and therefore yeah. you'll be more fun again? <laughs> well, let me, let me put it to you this way. Human beings have been dealing with death and dying and wars mm. since human beings have been on the planet without counsellors. Mm. So, mm. you know, I, I don't, Colin Murray Parks is one of the great gods in the bereavement world um, and somebody who's massively well respected for his, as a psychiatrist, um, as, a, as a, um, a researcher, as an academic. And he's always maintained that most people do not need counselling because there is nothing to be fixed. It's not a problem to be fixed. Mm. Grief is normal. Grief is natural. What we need is social support and social recognition. Unless. Say, yeah. Unless. So social support, social recognition will carry you through. You know, and, and this is something that you are very good at in Ireland because you, ha- you still have a community focus. Mm. You're not geographically spread out like we tend to be in the UK. Um, so you tend to have your loved ones... Do you, you know, um, quite proximal, mm. geographically close to you. So you have that support. You have community environments. A lot of people do still go to church and they have that support. Um, w- we tend to be more scattered in the UK. So that can be lacking. So mm. we would tend to, and I'm speaking as a bereavement counsellor, mm. we would tend to go to somebody because we don't have somebody that we can go to and really confide in, that we feel mm. that we really want to talk to. And if you do want to share your experiences, if you're having problems and you want to talk about that person and you don't feel you can do that with people close to you because you don't want to bother them or trouble them or whatever, then a counsellor can be there to listen to mm. you and then it can be useful. Or, you know, we can do play therapy and art therapy mm. and whatever you want as an adult mm. as well. Mm. But I think most people don't want to go and speak to a complete stranger about, mm. you know... Yeah, so I wonder sometimes about well, the most important if thing. It's, yeah. If it's sort of in your head it's like if I go to counsellor it'll make it all go away eventually and no. I'll be fine and I'll be bu- and I wonder no. if there's a lot of that going on as well for a lot of people yeah, yeah well we can't fix it mm. you know that's the one thing that so when I did my training the first thing that we were taught on my training course is the one thing they're going to come in wanting is for you to bring that person back and to fix their, their, their pain mm. and those are the two things that you cannot do all we can do is sit there and listen to them. That's it. Mm. There is nothing mm. else we can do unless it's pathological. And that's a whole other com- mm. conversation that would be complicated grief or traumatic grief. And then you would need to be trained to be able to help mm. somebody with that. You can't just go to a normal counsellor. You would have to be trained in complicated grief to facilitate that process. 
What I found, I went to therapy after my mom passed away. And what I found really interesting is I felt at the time that I was like really sensitive to empathy. So if I felt like someone wasn't empathetic, I could really, it's almost like I had this like hyper sensitivity or like a, almost mm. like, like a superpower where I could go, yeah. kind of sense if someone really wasn't, mm. if they being didn't genuine. care. Yeah. 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 Or if they weren't being yeah. genuine. And I could, and I oh, it was almost like a protective measure that mm. I almost knew to kind of retreat and hold back my. So I found that with tolerance levels. Mm. sort of lacking mm-hmm. your tolerance goes for but you yeah. kind of become like sharper in a way and that you've yeah. got this kind of vision that you didn't yeah. have maybe yeah. before um, I actually feel quite quite bad about it in the end because I ended up saying to the therapist that I just couldn't see her anymore because I was like I just don't think that you care yeah mm-hmm. and I used to just go in and sob mm-hmm. I've said this before on the podcast just sob for like mm-hmm. a full hour pay her a whole load of money to sob uncontrollably mm-hmm. not say very much mm-hmm. um, but she checked your phone once while I was sobbing. <laughs> and I just want something in my head just was like, I can't share this something that's so important and mm, intimate yeah. and sad and hard for me if you don't care. Mm. Yeah. And I looked, I looked and I, and I quit my therapy. And um, looking back now, I can see where I was at and where that led to that decision. And actually, mm. she was doing quite a good job. I think she was just kind of what you were saying. She was just sitting and listening. Yeah. But I was dealing with so much. Yeah. Uh, it was also my mom. So that one, that super empathetic person in my life, that person yeah, that would have yeah. been sitting right beside you if you were crying yeah. and wanted yeah. to make sure you were okay, yes. wasn't there. So yeah. no one else would do, I guess. Yeah. And that's, that's what you were missing. Yeah. That was the big void in your life. And no one can fill that. Yeah, no. but I think sometimes you people do go hoping for something that's out of entirely out of the it. therapist control. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in a lot of pain. We know that. And, you know, just, just sit there and I'll just make you feel better before you walk out. No, we no. can't. Yep. We don't. We can't ma- wave a magic wand and make you feel better. Mm. But most of my clients, I've only seen once, which which might surprise a lot of people, because they come in wanting to know what's normal. Mm. They don't know mm. that what they're feeling or what they're experiencing. They're like, oh, I'm I'm not doing it right because I'm not crying all the time, or I'm not. I, I there's something wrong with me because I don't want to go to support groups and, and my husband's making me go and I don't want to go. And is there something wrong with me, Caroline? And then, you know, I've had clients come in and say, well, I cried buckets over my mum, but I haven't cried at all over my dad. Mm. You know, and when you say to them, well, what kind of relationship did you have with your mum? Oh, they're my one and my all. What kind of relationship with with your dad? Oh, you know, I didn't see him very often, but I loved him. But, you know. Yeah. It's going to be different. But then when you hold them, all we do as counsellors is hold the mirror up. Mm. All we do is reflect back to you so that you understand that we are being genuine Mm. and empathic and that we're listening to what you're saying we just hear you Mm. which is what you're talking about if you don't feel that you're getting social support you would come to us for looking for that support Mm. and empathy and if you don't have friends or family especially when you're young and you're working and your friends just don't get it you know you'd come to us a couple of times and you'd be like actually this is normal my Mm. life is normal but this is forgive me for saying this but this is shit Mm -hmm. grief is I think until it happens to you you don't realise how 
absolutely, utterly devastating. It really can be. And not just for you, but the people around you. Mm. So the people that you would normally be caring for, you're not able to really care for as much as you'd like because you're so devastated. Mm. That whole Mm. rippling effect, that interaction with your loved ones can be really, really difficult. Mm. And if you're grieving, you just, you picked up on this. If you're grieving in different ways, if different personalities Mm. will grieve in different ways, men, we know from research, men can grieve generally in more of an instrumental way which is what you're doing Mm. that's how I grieve instrumentally by doing Mm. you know so we are doing things publicly Mm. and that's our way of directing our grief Mm. and other people won't they'll be more intuitive and women we know generally speaking and we can't you know I don't want to box people but we we know that this is what the research shows us tend to be um, more emotional And if you don't recognize, if you've got two people in the house, one's going one way, one's going the other, that can be massive, Mm. massive communication problems Mm. going on. You're not crying enough. You're Mm. not doing Mm. enough. You need to get up. You You should stay in. You become very like, you're sweeping it on the carpet. You don't seem to be as upset as, you know, and especially if you're having a bad day. Oh, yes. Like, I remember somebody coming into the house and just, I got really pissed off at them because it was like you don't seem to understand it's Father's Day and Sunday and I'm yeah, devastated the kids yeah, are devastated yeah. so so you should be and they were yeah, yeah. but it was just they weren't enough for me yeah <laughs> exactly you know what I mean? which is incredibly exactly. selfish probably no, it, 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 but grieving is selfish as it looks now yeah when for, I look back yeah. at it but we but are I was very so selfish annoyed. in grief yeah. yeah we are we're very we're very self-absorbed and mm. self-consumed mm. with our own pain and our I call it the grief fog. We're sort of in this this fog and we walk around with this bubble of fog around our heads and the whole world goes on around us. And we're like, how can they laugh? Mm. How can they just do what they're doing mm. and not realise mm. my pain, mm. my suffering? I just want to hit them. I just want to shut them mm. up. Mm. Do you know when you're at home and, and you really are having a really, really bad day, it might be their an- the anniversary or their birthday or something where you're really, really mm. missing them. And you can hear people laughing outside mm. or getting drunk outside. Mm. And you just want to shout out the window and tell them to shut the mm. up. But that is you part know. of it, the life going on yeah. thing around you. I think I may have mentioned yeah. this before, because when Martin died, it was this time last year and it was right in the middle of all the rugby mm. stuff and whatever. And a lot of his friends, we talked, we did actually talk mm. about it when we were doing the internet stuff. And a lot of his friends have changed their profile pic. And it's actually quite yeah. interesting because yeah. all the girls who changed their profile pic because Martin did a lot of female friends still all have their profile pic as oh. him and them. Oh. Which is, but I don't know whether they know I might get upset. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more that, uh, which I wouldn't know, but like it is, they, they've kept it. Whereas a few weeks after he died, one of his male friends who had changed his pic to, hit, to the two of them mm. changed it for the rugby <laughs> right. and put on a rugby mm. pa- and I was just I remember being Hurt, yeah. unconsolable mm. all weekend mm. that how could he possibly As if he's change discarded. the picture and yeah. it's now oh it's rugby yeah. so that's grand now yeah so it's almost like mm. it, we can move on now yeah 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 and he's discarded yeah, yeah. which yeah. of course, wasn't, of course the he case. wasn't no, no. I remember no. just being horrified mm. yeah well it's hard that. not to hang on to I think the hyper focus on things mm. that like they can't be made right or something. It's a mm. weird thing. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Caroline, is because um, I'm interested in this. I don't know a lot about it. Um, putting people on a pedestal after they've died um, oh, yeah. and maybe not seeing them for who they really were. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of times you'll, I, I'd read once before that maybe you don't grieve them properly if you grieve them, if you only grieve them in a kind of a, no, you know, this kind of wonderful version of them. Do you think you have to grieve, grieve an honest version of them? No, I, I, I don't believe that at all. I think I don't think there's an, anything such as not grieving properly. Mm. You know, I think that expression really needs to go in the dustbin um, because every grief is different. Um, usually when people die, we do, you know, that's it. They sort of get sainted. And we liked, we choose to remember the good bits, we choose to remember the happy memories, and we choose to discard mm. the other ones. Um, I think this is a, I think this is our way of coping. And I think the brain sort of, um, and I'm not going to start talking about neuroscience or anything, but the brain has protective mechanisms. And I think that's part of the protective mechanism is if you're already dealing with pain if, if it's a significant attachment then you will be you know you could be debilitated you could be suffering physically emotionally in all kinds of different ways to have to deal with that complication as well would just make life pretty unbearable don't you think so I think that's just a protectionist mm. mode and, and why not focus on the positive why do we have to bring in then I just don't see why anybody would feel the need to do that if they don't want to. You know, we can be realistic about people. Um, but if you want to, if you choose to focus on the positive, I don't see anything wrong with that mm. at all. I remember my poor husband said to me, we were talking about my mom visiting. My mom was afraid of flying. She lived in America and we live here, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, but would she have come? Because you know, my daughter was born after both my parents died. And she, he's like, but would she have come to visit, you think? And I nearly. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> like, she would have been here all the time. Yeah. Would she have been? I don't know. It doesn't matter yeah. because she did have a. You know, she did have a fear of flying, and there were complicated things there. But in my head, yeah, she would have been here, and she would have. They would have been mm. playing in the fine. grass, and they would have that's been. They would have known each other, and you know. So those kinds of things. Like, there's there's realism and there's an honesty, but they can be hard to like. But always. things. I think things like that are really unfair because you don't know. Mm. Your mum might have gone to her GP, yeah. got a sleeping tablet, yeah. got on that flight mm. because she so desperately yeah. wanted to. And in fairness to him, he wasn't. No. He wasn't. Like he in his mm. from a person who hasn't grieved in his life. He, that doesn't seem like a complicated yeah. statement, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like I don't think yeah. he in any. He doesn't get yeah. it. No, yet. you know that was a that was. Um, it was just an open question. An open question. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. On that note, yeah. yes. Um, um, Caroline, yeah. thank you very much. I I found that really, actually normalizing. That's good. It's actually good. just good. Yeah. Makes it all seem very right that everybody has different. Yes ways mm. yeah. of dealing with it and I yeah. think that's really important and I think that's really yeah. important for everybody mm. whether you're grieving or not to remember that everybody's different mm. and exactly. it's going to hit at different times yes. people are going to be different they're a little bit schizophrenic sometimes Absolutely. so that's normal Absolutely. do you know what I mean yeah bipolar As sometimes well. yeah, yeah. yeah that's a Me. dual process model um, yeah thank you very much indeed I you're welcome find yeah. that really it was fascinating great. thank you so much you're welcome thank you very much for having me Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 